And let's open up this uh, morning. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into God's word. Father God, we thank you for who you are, first of all. God, we thank you that you are the chain breaker. Um, God, we thank you that you've already done the work. We're going to lean into that uh, over the next few weeks. And God, I just declare that uh, your words would uh, penetrate our spirit, um, our hearts uh, this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. So chain breaker is his name. And Jesus has come to set us free. But the reality is, a lot of us might be watching today, but we're still not living free. And I just want you to know this morning that the enemy is fine with Jesus uh, being in your life as long as the enemy still has a hold on your life. The enemy is fine with us being at Destiny at Home, watching the stream online today, as long as the enemy still has a hold on your life. He's fine with us singing songs, lifting up our hands and shouting amen at your computer screens (laughs) or your television screens as long as he still has a hold on us. So I want to open up with the story this morning. I was blown away when I first heard this story of a Japanese soldier. He's in the Pacific in World War II. His name is Hiru Onada. On December 26, 1944, Hiru Onada was sent to the Lubang Islands in the Philippines, and he was ordered to do all that he could do to hamper enemy attacks on the island, including destroying the airstrip and the pier in the harbor. And so his orders also stated that under no circumstances was he uh, to surrender. So he landed on his mission base on February 28th in 1945, and within a very short period of time, all but three other soldiers had either surrendered or died. And so Onada, who had been promoted to lieutenant, uh, because of this, he ordered the men to to take to the hills. Onada continued his campaign as the Japanese holdout, initially living in the mountains with his three fellow soldiers. And Onada and his companions carried out guerrilla activities and engaged um, in several shootouts. And the first time they saw a leaflet announcing that Japan had surrendered was October 1945. Another cell had killed a cow and found a leaflet behind uh, by islanders which read, the war ended on August 15th come down from the mountains. However, key phrase here, they distrusted, they did not believe the leaflet. They concluded that the leaflet was in a scheme of allied propaganda. And so they also believed that they would not have been fired upon um, had the war indeed been over. And so toward the end of 1945, leaflets were dropped by air with a surrender order printed on them from General Yamashita of the 14th Area Army. They had been hiding for over a year. And this leaflet was the only evidence that they had that the war was over. Onada's group looked very closely at the leaflet to determine whether it was genuine. So the three soldiers and Onada, again, they concluded that this was a trick. Skirmishes took place and the other three soldiers that were with him over time were killed. Onada was left alone. Then on February 20th, 1974... 30 years had passed since he had first made the decision. Onada met a Japanese man named Norio Suzuki who was traveling around the world looking for, quote, and I'm just telling you the story, looking for Lieutenant Onada, a wild panda, and the abominable snowman in that order, 
End quote. <laughs> Suzuki found Onada after four days of searching, and Onada and Suzuki became friends, but Onada still refused to surrender, saying he was waiting for orders from a superior officer. Suzuki then returned to Japan with photographs of themselves. Suzuki, technical difficulty, sorry. So we good? Okay. Suzuki then returned to Japan with photographs of themselves in an audit as proof of their encounter. And the Japanese government located Onada's commanding officer, Major Yamashi Taniguchi, who had since become a bookseller. So they go to, to Barnes & Noble, they get this guy, Taniguchi, and they say, you've got to go back to the Philippines. He flew to Lubang, uh, where on March the 9th, 1974, he finally met with Onada and fulfilled the promise that he made in 1944. Quote, this is what he said, whatever happens, we'll, we'll come back for you, end quote. Onada was thus properly relieved of duty and he surrendered. He turned over his sword, his rifle, his 500 pounds of ammunition and several hand grenades, as well as a dagger his mother had given him in 1944 to kill himself if he was ever captured. 29 years after the war was over, Onada finally stepped into the reality of that truth. 29 years and I wonder today how many of us really are living in the reality that 2,000 years ago, the war ended for us. And Jesus was victorious, and, and he is offering for us the possibility today of living fearless and living free. And I wonder how many of us are still up in the hills, even though leaflets have come down from heaven, and we're like, well, I don't know if I can trust this. I'm not really sure if I can believe in this. I'm not really sure if this is for me. And, and we are still living as though the war hasn't been won. But we're announcing today that the war is over. Christ is victorious. And he is the chain breaker who has come to set you and me free. And maybe we just need to be reminded of that in the middle of a pandemic that we're in, right? So we're just going to talk about several chains over the next few weeks. And we'll talk about fear and we'll talk about several others. But the chain that we're starting with today is one that we're likely to, it's likely to be bubbling up in somebody's heart even right now. And it's the chain of doubt. And you're, maybe you're sitting there. I don't, I don't know where we're heading in this series, but I'm not sure it's going to work. You don't even know what God is going to say yet. I don't even know what the chains that we're going to talk about, but I'm really not sure that this is going to work because I have a perspective. Um, I have uh, you know, life circumstances that have happened that have made me to doubt whether or not it's possible to come down from those hills. And so you know, to turn in my weapons and to realize that I need to surrender to what Christ has already won for me and to start walking like a son or a daughter of God and in his truth. And that's the possibility for you, and that's the possibility for me. That's where we're going. So Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration happens, and Jesus took some of his followers on a high hill. He appeared there with Elijah and Moses, and glory fell on the hill. And when Jesus came down from the hill and returned to his other followers, we find the following story unfold in Mark 9 verse 14. And if you have your scripture, I, I want you to read this text with me. This is what it says. 
It says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Jesus seemed perplexed and maybe even a little bit perturbed. And it says in verse 19, he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him the boy. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father a question. How long has this been happening? I mean, don't you think that Jesus would have just gone, this is enough, snap his fingers and it'd be done. But Jesus turns to the father and he asks him a question. How long has this been going on? How long has this been happening? The reason that he did that is really important. I don't want us to miss it today. It's not all about Jesus coming into the world and snapping his finger and destroying the works of the enemy, although we could do that. Jesus is inviting the Father into the story, and he's inviting you into the story today because how the Father responds and how you and I respond are going to be key in whether or not we experience the chain breaker in our lives. This is so important. So the father tells Jesus that his son has been like this from the very beginning. And then the father goes on to say, the spirit has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if, listen to what he says, but if you can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, Jesus was meek and mild and, and all that good stuff. But he also got irritated. <laughs> and he's getting irritated right here. And he, and he says, in my Bible, the way it writes it out, it says, in quotes, he's repeating what the Father says back to everybody. And I kind of think he might be even kind of side-eyeing his disciples when he says this. He says, if you can, can you see him kind of just looking around at his disciples when he says this? If you can, if you can, everybody hearing that this morning, if you can, Remember the father said, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, would you take pity on him? Would you take pity on us? And can you help us? And Jesus says, if you can. And then he comes with this amazing opening thought for you and for me today. He says, all things, he says to the father, are possible for one who believes. <laughs> what an amazing paradox, right? He says, the thing that's aggravating me right now in this context is not the power of the enemy. I'm not aggravated by the, the enemy's power in the life of this little boy. What's aggravating me right now is the unbelief of the people around me. He's not like, oh my goodness, the boy's on the ground. What am I going to do? He's, he's not doing that. What, he, he looks at the people and he says, how long do we have to put up with unbelief because all things are possible to them that believe? Now, not to the one who, who, who knows the, the most Bible, not to the one who's been in church the longest. It's not to the one who feels like they've got it all together. He says, no, all things are possible to those, to the one who believes. So a key for this whole series is gonna be, do you believe? Do you believe what God can do? 
Do you believe it? If you look at this text just for a moment and you do a rewind, let's go back a few chapters. I'm going to do this really quickly, but do this with me if you've got your scriptures. Chapter 8, we're just going to look at the section headings. In, in the middle of chapter 8 is Jesus heals the blind man at Bethsaida. So a blind man has just gotten sight. Jesus spit on him and put his hands on his eyes. That doesn't sound super cool, but if you're blind and you can see, you don't mind that, right? It's pretty amazing. It says um, at the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus fed the 4,000. It says right above that, that Jesus healed a deaf and mute man. He literally touched his tongue and he said, open up. And the guy could talk who couldn't talk. If you look back a little bit before that, there was the Syrophoenician woman whose child was impacted by an evil spirit. And she didn't think she had a right with the people of God. And Jesus went across the religious lines and he gave freedom to her child. If, if you look a little bit above that, it says, Jesus is walking on water. At the end of chapter six, in the middle of a storm, he says, take courage, it is I. And, and here he comes walking on the water. If you just look a few paragraphs beyond that, it says Jesus fed the 5,000. And if you keep looking back to the end of chapter five, a dead girl and a sick woman were both touched by the power of God. Jairus' daughter was healed who had died and the woman with the issue of blood uh, touched his garment and she was made whole after nobody else could do that for her. Nobody else could help her. If you look to the beginning of chapter five, um, there is the healing of a demon-possessed man. This man that was living among the tombs across the Galilee and broke all the chains off of him because of the evil spirits that lived in him. And Jesus healed that man. Not great news for the pig farmer that day, but that's beside the point. Jesus healed that man. If you look right above that, Jesus calmed the storm. He was sleeping in a boat. The disciples woke him up. Don't you care? We're going to drown. And he spoke to the wind and he spoke to the waves and he said, peace be still. If you look back a little further and you just keep on turning back the pages, you can see the power of God displayed time and time and time and time again. Jesus heals a paralytic at the beginning of chapter two. It's when they busted a hole in the roof and lowered their friend on a mat. He heals a man with leprosy at the end of chapter one. And as you move back into the beginning of chapter one, he heals many, many people. And above that in Capernaum, he drives out an evil spirit and he tells it to come out and to free the man. Jesus is saying, I don't know, guys. I think I have a pretty good track record here. I think I've done some amazing things and I cannot believe that. By now, you cannot believe that there is a kingdom power to those who have faith <laughs> and a confidence in who I am. That's what he's saying here. And what can I can do? And I can believe, I believe if we're really honest this morning, if we're really honest this morning with ourselves, he's saying that to you and to me. He's saying, how many times have we got to go around with this story? Where I come through for you, but some, somehow, even though I come through, the next time we face a challenge, it seems like your default is to go back to doubt. Or, or maybe we occasionally will step into faith and we'll say, okay, I'm going to pray about it. I might actually believe that God can do something here. I'm going to take this flyer and I'm going to actually lean into the word of God here that's going to come from the heavens. But our default so many times is doubt. A lot of us come from a, a culture of doubt, whether it be our family or our surroundings. A lot of us come from unbelief. A lot of us come from a, a, maybe a spirit of negativism or pessimism or the glass half empty mindsets. But I think we're talking about something deeper than even that. I think we're talking about a root of unbelief. And that root cause is probably at the root of every other chain that we're going to talk about in this series. That root is maybe even raising up its head right now saying this message isn't going to make a difference in my life. Uh, you know, it's in terms of setting me free. And, and, but I want you to know that even if your mama was like that, even if your grandmama was like that, 
if all the family has been like that in your history and your story is so far that that's just how we are. We got it from great grandmama or great grandpapa down to great grandma and, and down to mom. And that's just kind of the way it is with us. But I, what I want you to know this morning is that it doesn't matter what the circumstance or where you come from. God has been moving and orchestrating things to set you free. He has. God has been moving through history to do two things, to bring you back home with God where you belong and to give back to you what the enemy has stolen. And we see this through the story of Jesus. And even we even see it in the prophecy that leads up to his arrival. If you go to Isaiah 45, this is a powerful example. In Isaiah 45, the people of God are in bondage in Babylon. Some of you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar, he destroys the city of Jerusalem. He destroys the, the, the temple and the place of worship. He takes the best and the brightest off to Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all of these uh, are, are captives of Israel taken into the bondage of Babylon. There are those uh, who God has gifted to be a light uh, to his people in the world. But now, check this out. Because some of you are, are, are in this exact same place, they're using the very gifts that God has given them to build up somebody else's empire, somebody else's kingdom, maybe even a kingdom that's opposed to the kingdom of God. And so, but God sees them because God is committed to his people and God always has a freedom plan. And so here they are now in Babylon, the, the temples and ruins, Jerusalem has been upended and it looks like the plans and the promise of God have all come to nothing. But God has a plan, even when you can't see it. God has a plan. And can I tell you, even if your Jerusalem is dark uh, today, even if your temple your place of worship has been mowed down, maybe the doors have been closed because of a pandemic, and even if you've been dragged off into captivity, your God still sees you. And he still has a freedom plan for you today. And it's probably going to look different than what you think. The, this one certainly did. Isaiah 45, it begins like this. It says, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Who is Cyrus? Cyrus is the ruler of Persia and Persia is gaining might and power. But for Cyrus to become the guy, he's got to take down Babylon. And so out of the East comes Cyrus and all the Persian might to take on the power and the might of Babylon. God is choosing to organize history in such a way that his people will know that he has a freedom plan for them. Cyrus, check this verse out, whose right hand I have grasped. Now, by the way, Cyrus wasn't signing up for some kind of Jesus mission here. He, he just happens to be a king in a world where God is sovereign. Can I get an amen, right? He, he, he happened to be in power in a moment, like every moment in time, where God is in charge. And so we just never count God out at any moment, at any time, at any place, because God is sovereignly delivering his people. And this is what it says. I'm going to take him by the right hand that I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret place that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. God is going to cut through your iron bars, and he's going to bring you home with him free and give you back what the enemy has stolen from your life if you let him. 
And if you follow him, and if you lean toward him, he will accomplish that. This very same freedom works in your life because he's just foretelling the work of what Jesus is going to do. We don't typically dig around in in Ezra a lot, but if you look over to Ezra chapter one, this is what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. And this is what the king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. So he moves his men into place in Babylon. Babylon falls. He frees the people and then he makes this decree. If you love God and you want to serve God in Jerusalem, we're going to go back and we're going to rebuild your temple. Here is Cyrus rebuilding the house of God in Jerusalem because God has a freedom plan. And then it says in verse seven, if that wasn't enough, Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord of Nebuchadnezzar that he carried away from Jerusalem and he had placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithridath, the treasurer who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these did Shezbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. And Jesus is writing his own decree today. And he's saying, I want to cut through the iron bars and I will take down every gate of bronze. I'm going to set my people free. And then I'm going to bring you home to the place where God intends you to be. And then I'm going to return to you everything that the enemy has stolen from your life. Just like Joel, I'm going to give back what the locusts have eaten in your life. But we've got to start, Jesus says, with this idea of unbelief. Back in Mark 9, the father says, if you can, it would be amazing if you had mercy on us and if you helped him. And Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. Then listen to what the boy's father says. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out. And I believe I believe honestly today, this is just real talk. (laughs) It speaks to our humanity. Uh, I think a lot of us could probably hear ourselves in this response, and I think you and I can relate to it. He says, I do believe, but look at this honest confession, but help my unbelief. I do believe, but help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? I do believe in you, God, but in this area, I'm struggling. My, my sons are fighting. There's chaos in the house. And I, I do believe in who, are, in who you are, but in this particular thing, Jesus, I just can't see my way through it. I, I do worship you, but I've kind of resigned myself to, to a long time ago to believing that this gate of bronze, this one ain't going down. So God, I do believe, but would you help my unbelief? And so we come to the most important question today. How does Jesus break the chain of doubt? How does he break the chain of unbelief? And we see that fall out in the rest of this text. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing um, him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the crowd was pressing in, so he slips out of the way and he gets inside the house. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So we ask the question, how does Jesus set us free from every chain, but especially a chain of doubt and unbelief? The answer is really clear and really broad by his triumph and by his truth, right? He's, he's conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave. And we know that he has the keys to death and Hades, but he has also spoken truth. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? In other words, there's not a magic formula. There's not some mysterious code here. There's not like a, a little leaflet that you haven't gotten a hold of yet. It's Christ triumphing over death and hell and ascending from the grave. It's the empty tomb. It's been in the conversation uh, over the last few weeks with the Easter. And a risen Lord, he's seated and exalted, right? And it's the word of truth that Jesus has put in our hands that set us free. But it's, it's whether or not today the rhythm of our lives is operating in the triumph and the truth of Jesus. And for that to happen, we've got to get a hold of this last verse. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, I don't know what happens to you when you hear that verse, but if there's anybody, any old school believers uh, watching today, does anybody have the King James version of that verse just pop up in your mind right now when you're reading it? In the King James version, as I read this text, my mind read the words, which is on my paper that says, driven out by prayer. But my spirit added on the King James Version, which says, only by, say it with me, if you hear it too, only by prayer and fasting. Now, why is there a difference? Because there's a little bit of variation in the manuscripts in this particular phrase. And when you hear that, people say, well, that's what makes me nervous about the Bible. But listen, it doesn't say by prayer or you need to have a whopper every Thursday. It's not that kind of a variation. It's prayer or prayer and fasting. And the King James, which is a very reliable translation, by the way, picked up the manuscripts that include that phrase, fasting. And I don't want to take liberties with the text at all. I don't, I don't ever want to do that. But I want to add that phrase today because I believe there's power in prayer and fasting. And if I can just be as clear as possible before we go on, the chain of unbelief and doubt is only going to be broken by prayer and fasting. Okay? In fact, every chain that's going on in your life is going to be broken by prayer and fasting. And your response might, might, might be this morning, no, that can't be. When, when is the seminar going to come for how to break my chains? I don't really care for prayer and fasting. Is there an app? Just text me the, the download for that, and I'll get that. Uh, hit me with a DM. And Jesus is saying, this one, that chain that you're talking about right now, that's only going to happen by prayer and fasting. And I'm suggesting this morning that maybe the reason it hasn't been broken off yet is because there was not prayer and fasting. That would shorten a lot of our prayer life, by the way. You know, let's go back to the question, what is prayer and fasting? It sounds like 
church talk, I know. But I, but I think it helps if we really actually know what we're talking about, right? And so I want to give us some simple definitions this morning. In prayer, let's talk about the two sides of this rhythm. Prayer is simply a lifestyle and a rhythm of leaning towards God. And prayer is not giving God a to-do list. That is not prayer. It's not, dear Lord, please work this out, change her mind, come through on this, stop that, start that. You know, at 5.30, don't forget, we're going to be at Monument Hospital. And he's like, oh, mercy, thank you, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> you know, it's, he's like, Dr. Woman, I know Dr. Woman, I made him. I know what he's going to be doing in this surgery. I don't need that information, right? That would shorten a lot of our prayer life, by the way. Lord, my cousin's having a procedure today. And he says, no kidding, really? You mean, you're talking about Lila, right? The jaw thing? <laughs> he already knows. And he's like, how long? How long are we going to do this? Where you don't just look up and say, God, you know everything. And you certainly know about Lila today. So God, I trust you. And I'm believing you today for my cousin. And I'm counting on you today for Lila. And you know, why would I sit here and tell you all that what's happening Today, because you already know what's happening with Lila today. You know the doctor's name. You know the nurse's name. You know the anesthesiologist's name. You, you know the prep team's name. You know the custodian's name who changed out the bed sheets. You know everything there is to know about everything. So prayer isn't giving uh, me, me is, it's not me giving you a to-do list. Prayer is me leaning towards you with my life. Even, even the Greek word in this verse, it starts with the word prosuese, and it means to lean toward. <laughs> I love that. So the very word used for prayer is, uh, in this verse means to lean towards God. Maybe this will change the way that we pray. And, and, and what do we do? We lean towards God. Three things as we're leaning towards God. I'm just going to give them to you really quickly. Number one, we lean towards who God is. That's where we start. Not, not here's what I need you to do, but we lean towards who God is. Number two, we lean towards who we are in him. We lean towards who we are and who he is in us. And number three, the last one, we lean towards what God says is true about our lives. And without that, this one's not going to come out. Without a rhythm of leaning into God, I need to remember and refocus on who you are, God. I need to get a new view of who I am in you, God. I need to hear again today who I am in you and who you say that I am and what you say that I can do through you. I need to lean towards you. Romans 12 says it this way. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your, say it with me if you know it, but the renewing of your mind. See, your freedom is not about the size of your biceps. <laughs> it's not about our strength. Now, now, don't get distracted right now in the middle of, you know, God bringing freedom to your life. I can show you my biceps. But you know, your freedom isn't resting on your bicep or how strong you are or how strong you think you are. <laughs> your freedom is resting on the renewing of your mind. So you don't need to bump it up. <laughs> you need to change your way of thinking. We are transformed not by the flexing of our muscles, not by anything in our strength, but by the renewing of our mind. So that then, the verse says, we might prove the good and perfect will of God. Then we can walk in and 
and through the iron bars that Jesus cut, then we can walk out of and over the bronze gate that Jesus has knocked down. And then we can receive the treasure that was stolen from us that God wants to restore back into our lives for his glory. Because he's calling every one of us today by name. And this happens when we renew our minds. And that happens when we lean towards God. And if that's not a rhythm in our lives, then Jesus says, this one's not coming out. Fasting, on the other hand, if prayer is leaning toward God and leaning toward the voice of God, fasting is leaning away from the voice of the world. Fasting is saying, I can't breastfeed on the world and then profess that I'm leaning into being a child of God. Fasting is the acknowledgement that I have to make a break at times. I have to, uh, it's not hitting the eject button, but none of us are trying to exit the world. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and that's what fasting is. It's not something that you do once a year or once a lifetime, or if you're really, really spiritual. It's a rhythm. I lean into God in prayer, and I lean away from the voice of the world by fasting. Well, how do I fast? How is it going to be good for you? And, and when is it going to be good for you to disconnect from the voice of the world? Because as much as we want to see who God is and see who we are in him and be reminded of what he says is true about our lives, when we fast, we want to stop being preoccupied by what's happening in the world. Maybe I need to say that one again. Stop being preoccupied by what's happening in the world. We want to stop listening to what the world says is true about our lives. And we want to stop listening to what the world says we can do. So for many of us, it means, it might mean shutting off the phone. It might mean shutting social media down. It might mean staying away from that news station that speaks so much hate and vitriol. Listen, if your news comes along with the constant message of the other guys are nuts, we are always right. Those Dems, those Republicans, blah, 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 blah. I want to encourage you. Don't drink from that well. <laughs> You've got to say, hey, for the next three days, I'm going to turn off Netflix. I'm going to turn up the voice of God in my life. I'm going to knock out you know, XYZ food um, or XYZ drink or XYZ thing, whatever God tells me to do. I'm going to ask him, and then I'm going to be obedient to that because I want to create some space where I can lean away from the voice of the world and lean toward the voice of God. This one's only coming out, Jesus said, by prayer and by fasting. There is no silver bullet except this. And this is the opportunity that is right in our hands today. It probably won't happen in a second. It's probably not going to happen by raising our hands in the response time today. You know, oh, I'm leaving unbelief and I'm walking into, you know, belief. I mean, God can do miracles, but here's the deal. Some of you have been walking in unbelief for so long that it's just become a way of life. It's become a rhythm in your life. But God wants to change your mind and he wants to renew your mind transform your expectations for your life by changing the way that you even think about him and the way that you think about you. And that is a process and a rhythm of leaning, 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 leaning away and leaning in, leaning away and leaning in. And I'm telling you, this is so important. It's a habit to develop in your life. Jesus modeled it for us. If we rewind um, in, in the book of Mark, chapter one, verse 35, look at it. 
Jesus says he's rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And then we fast forward, when we fast forward to Mark 9 and the story that we're reading today, and Jesus says, here's how this one thing comes out. He's like, you know where I've been all of these mornings. You know where I've been all of these evenings. You know that every time you've come and looked for me, Peter, and tried to find me, where was I? I was leaning into God. I was leaning into Father God and leaning away from the world so that when I walked back into this environment, which was crowded and congested and loud, I had clarity and confidence in what God could do. So I'm not talking about just using extra time now that you might have because of this pandemic. I'm talking about let's make this a daily life rhythm so that you can endure so that your foundation is built on the rock of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, both in the pandemic and outside of it. Amen. And so here's how you know you've been leaning in and leading away. And here's how you know. We're closing with this. The the leading phrases of your life change. They change from what is normal for you and me. And I wish we could set an alarm every time these words come out of our mouth. An alarm would go off and we'd just be like, oh yeah, I gotta back up and I gotta rethink this. Every time these words are our leading words. And here they are, the leading phrases from people not leaning in and leading out are, I feel, listen, I just got to tell you, man, I'm going through it. What's going on? Well, I just feel X. And then you just spew it out. Another one is, I think. And we somehow have been duped by the enemy into thinking that we have the wisdom to work through dilemmas like freedom from chains. And we're up and down based on whether we slept good and, or we're irritated or we liked our lunch or we took our meds or we're happy or sad. And I'm telling you, our feelings are like jello. It's like saying, God, I'll trust you if my feelings are good, really good today. And he's like, well, why don't you lean into me? And they will. A lot of times they will until their feelings get on board. And why don't you lean away from the world? And we will many times until our feelings get on board. Why don't you lean into who I am, uh, into who you are in me, into who I say is, into what I say is true about your life, into what I say you can do in and through me. And then we'll just say to our feelings, hey, do you all hear that? This is great because I'm reorganizing this plan right now around who he is and who he says I am. <laughs> and so we're not holding just jello in our hand and trusting in how I feel. Wouldn't it be cool if an alarm went off every time we said those things? Man, did you hear what happened today in New York? I know, I just feel blah, 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 blah. Right, an alarm sound. <laughs> it's, it's not to say, listen, it's not to say that God doesn't want you to have feelings, but we've got to see a replacement happening, a transformation happening, a renewing of our minds. You, you know what those phrases get replaced by when you're leaning in and you're leaning away? They get replaced by, I know and I believe. I know and I believe. Oh yeah, I've seen the circumstances. I've read the paper. I've heard the news. I've, I got the memo. I received the phone call. I've, I've heard all the details, but let me tell you something. I know something and I know someone. And I am, I am confident in him and I'm confident in his words and that he has spoken to me. I know who he says I am and I know what he says I can do and I know and therefore I believe. 
<laughs> faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe, I know, but I believe I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. My default is not doubt. My new framework becomes faith. My default is not doubt anymore. My new framework is faith. And I believe you know what that looks like as a parent. It looks like different things in all circumstances, but I'll tell you one in particular because we're talking about this man and this boy. And I love this man's response, by the way. And I'm praying this prayer today. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And God's saying, okay, I, I wanna help. Are you ready? Prayer and fasting. There it is. Are you ready? Here's what it takes to help your unbelief. Lean in and lean out. And when that happens, things change. And as a parent, if something happens to your child, you get a diagnosis from a doctor or something else, they, they wander away and uh, get put behind bars. They get stuck behind a bronze gate. As their parent, wouldn't it be awesome if you could just step in and say, I know who I believe. And do you know what I'm going to do first? I'm not going to default to doubt, i.e., you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, my word. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But what if our response is, I take authority over the life of my daughter in the name and the power and the finished work of Jesus. That work has already been done. I stand here right now as a first response. and I take authority in Jesus' name. <laughs> and listen, we all have experienced loss. We have. But what this does is it changes our mindset. It renews our mind and it lets us know right from the beginning that our confidence and our hope is in the unshakable God. And yes, there may be a day that it doesn't work out the way that we hoped. But can I tell you the truth? Even in that day, God came through for us. He is near us and he is working even if we can't see it. That's the truth. There, there was a day that ended in death and, and we went to the gravesite. But in that moment, we know that Jesus overcame the grave. There, there are things that happen in our lives that we don't see coming, world pandemics, but there isn't one of those things that God won't use to set us free, to move us forward and to advance us into the person that he wants us to be. He takes the worst and he brings out the best. And no matter what happens in our lives, when it's all said and done, when there is no time left on the clock, no matter what we've walked through, what we've endured or what we've seen, we win. In the end, we win. In the end with Jesus, we win. In the end, there is no height, no depth, no past, no present, no angels, no demons that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I want to close with this. I want to close with this picture. I think it's one of the most real pictures I've ever seen. That's my Uncle Bob and his daughter, my cousin Katie. Bob is, is my dad's brother. He passed away last week after about a decade of fighting cancer. And Dad and I went to visit him in the hospital a few weeks ago. And let me tell you, his faith and the faith of his family is rock steady. And I want to show you what leaning in and leaning out looks like. I'm going to read to you the caption that my cousin Katie posted along with this picture. Can you go ahead and just leave that picture up on the screen as I read this? Because I might lose it. <laughs> just <laughs> this is what she wrote. Today was the day, the day that every human who loves Jesus longs for. Today was the best day of my dad's life because he wholeheartedly believed in the promises that God had for him. 
because Jesus sacrificed himself for my dad and every other person who believes in him. Dad is now in the presence of our good, good God and Father. I can't even imagine what he is seeing right now, but it is very good. Make no mistake, my dad did not lose a battle with cancer. Cancer did not win anything. God did not fail my dad. He gave him the most valued gift any of us could have, eternal life through his son, Jesus. Complete victory over death. And please, if you're thinking, they have so much faith, that's good for them. I'm glad they're comforted by it. Know that it is 100% real and it is for you too. Please, if you don't understand how in the world we can have such peace and comfort in the midst of such tremendous loss, please reach out to any one of us. As for my sweet, sweet daddy, we will see him again. It is a hope that we can bank on. And then she closes with this scripture. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Derek to close us out. Good morning, Destiny. There's a handful of things I want to talk about. We're not going to take a whole lot of time. Uh, but normally during this time, if we were all together and we were all in the same building, I'd say, hey, let's bring the prayer teams up. And, and if you have any prayer needs or if you want prayer today, uh, come up and meet with them. And obviously that's not an option. But the vast majority of our prayer team is in the chat section right now, um, if you're watching on Facebook Live. Um, so feel free to put a prayer request there if you'd like, or if you have a prayer request that you want our prayer, uh, our prayer teams to get, but maybe you don't want to put it in the chat section, or maybe you're watching this um, later on as a video and it's not live and you want, you want to send a prayer request to us, you can go to mydestiny.family, choose resources, sorry, choose resources and um, prayer at the bottom, or it's like the third choice down, and you can send a, a prayer request to uh, what we call Nemail, and we will get it out to our prayer teams, and we will stand with you, and we will pray with you, and we will pray for you, and we will see God uh, act on your behalf, because we believe. Now, um, here's the thing about doubt. Uh, I think a lot of times we, we think doubt is like, um, yeah, I, I really don't believe that. But in my life, doubt is aggressive. Um, when I doubt something, it's usually an aggressive voice in my mind that says, that can't be true, that's not true, that's not real. And um, I feel like that is... As long as we think that doubt is soft, we can't consider it a chain that needs to be broken. Because things that are soft don't need to be broken. Things that are soft are pushed out of the way. Uh, but doubt is aggressive. Like a steel chain that, that, that can only be shattered. As Pastor Sean uh, read earlier from Mark 9, 23, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus asked, or sorry, Jesus said, anything is possible. Anything is possible 
if a person believes. Matthew 17, 20 says, uh, I tell you the truth. This is again Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. These are words that shatter the chains of doubt. So we're going to pray uh, for two, two groups of people, and, and you could actually you know, be in both. Um, it's not, not two separate groups, like whatever. But uh, basically, first, first we're going to pray for people that, um, like, you know what? I, I, I'd like to believe that God can act on my behalf, but I've seen all this bad stuff happen, and the doubt is just so strong in my mind. Or, or um, I, I'd like to believe that people can change, but so many people in my life haven't changed, or I've been hurt so much. Uh, maybe you're, you're kind of in that group, and, and the, the doubt, like all morning, as Pastor Sean was sharing, the doubt was screaming in the back of your mind, yeah, that sounds nice, but not for me. Because that's what doubt says, doesn't it? Yeah, that's great, but, but not for me. Oh, that applies to those guys. But, but it doesn't apply to me. But that's not what Jesus said. Anything is possible if a person believes. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. The second group of people that I, I want to pray with and pray for this morning are, uh, you know, if, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not, uh, if you wouldn't label yourself as a Christian, there are a lot of Christians that wouldn't label themselves as a Christian, but I mean, if a Christ follower, uh, if, if you wouldn't label yourself as a Christ follower, if you haven't um, accepted him into your life and you haven't started your journey with him, started following him, I want to pray for you too. Um, and, and that is not a separate conversation from what we've been talking about because to become a Christian, to... Um, get your ticket to heaven, as it were. All you have to do is believe. How fitting. Uh, so if my belief is the only thing that I have to do, then truly anything is possible. If the only thing separating me from God is my lack of belief or the beginning of my belief, guys, this is the day when doubt is broken and belief begins. So, God, I thank you for everyone out there, everyone who's listening to this video, either live or in the future. God, I pray that you would break the chains of doubt in our lives. That when our mind shouts, yeah, that might be cool for you, but it doesn't work for me, God, I pray that you would shout louder that those chains are broken and that truth is being spoken. God, I pray that we wouldn't be held back by fear anymore, by doubt that the lion's roar in our life would be greater than any whispering of doubt could ever shout. And for those of you that, that want to start your journey with Christ today, I would ask you to pray along with me. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me, for shedding your blood for my sins, for taking the punishment that I earned, and for giving me grace and mercy. Jesus, today I stand here and I proclaim my faith, my trust, and my belief that you are the Son of God and that you died for me. 
And Jesus, this is my begin- the beginning of my journey with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, please let us know. Either send us an email or a regular mail, direct message on Facebook, throw it out in the chat. We would love to hear uh, what God's doing in your life. Guys, we, we want to hear testimonies during this time. If God's doing things in your life that are positive during this time, man, we're hearing all the negative stuff. Let's hear the good stuff. Let's share some testimonies in the chats and on Facebook and on all the social media places. Send us emails. Guys, we want to hear that. We want to share that, okay? Our email emails aren't just for prayer requests. They're for prayer answers too. And we like to share those as well.